Welcome to the first and potentially last Gallery Talk podcast. I'm Sarah Goble. Today I'm going to be talking about three museum mysteries with my co-host Sarah Hickson. Hi. And Kathleen McCormick. Hello. We worked all day. I've spent five hours cleaning out a historic smokehouse and then started in on the booze. So buckle up. We're in for a fun ride. How this is going to work is I'm going to get background on the situation, then some theories on the mysteries. My theories are not educated or well-researched. Some of them have very little to do with who did it or the actual facts. Others, Sarah and Kathleen, will chime in when they have thoughts. They're learning about the mysteries at the same time as you, so I'm sure they're going to have some gut reactions. Before our first mystery, I want to give some trigger warnings. Our mystery discussions will involve the words murder, divorce, theft, affair, and robbery. If you struggle with any of these terms, please proceed with caution. All right, so mystery one, are you guys ready? Yes. Okay. Let's go. So we are starting in St. Petersburg, Russia at the Hermitage Museum. The museum is held in the Winter Palace where the Romanov Tsars lived for 200 years. So this palace is massive as is their collection. The museum's collection is over 3 million items. The museum is 719,490 square feet. It has 18,800 doors. And if you were to walk through all of the galleries at once, you would have walked 15 miles. It is also the home to 50 to 70 cats. On to the mystery. In 2006, they announced that they were going to audit or catalog their religious jewelry collection. The next day, the curator of that collection was found dead at her desk. Lariska Lovartsky, that's how I'm going to say that, was 52 years old. She was a type 1 diabetic and her given cause of death was heart attack. They then proceeded with the audit and found 226 objects worth an estimated $4.5 million were missing. Police almost immediately pursued the theory that staff was involved. They ended up pinning it on curator Larissa, who was, of course, at that point, conveniently deceased. Do you guys have initial thoughts on that? I mean, it's got to be the curse of Rasputin, right? Yes, absolutely. So to give some more information, police asked anyone who had obtained, quotation marks, one of the items to return it. 31 of the 226 items were returned or found. One, which was worth $200,000, showed up in a trash can right by a police station in St. Petersburg. Another was found in a train station. And where the real lead about who did this came from was a pawn shop owner who fingered curator Larissa's husband. And then apparently some sales receipts came to light where they had pawned the objects at this pawn shop. So they ended up convicting the curator's husband, Nikolai Zavarsky, for helping his wife. They said that Larissa stole objects over the course of eight years. Her son also may have been involved. He was a courier at the museum because apparently if your museum is 15 miles big, you need couriers. Um, Honestly, we should move to Russia and then we can just time job walking around with the cats. But so the thing is, apparently guards didn't check any of the staff as they left. And so Larissa just like chucked the items in her purse and walked on out the door for nearly a decade. And then she would take them to pawn shops around the city. And then she also routinely went to Finland for reasons that have not been explained. 
So overall, like it looks pretty bad for the curator, like her son works there, there's pawn shop receipts, but there are a lot of reasons why people don't think that Larissa did it. So along with Nikola Zavarsky, her husband, three other men were arrested, another hermitage staff member, an academic and a private collector. And all three of these men were acquitted. But when the collector emerged from police custody, he had an unexplained eye injury. And he was also immediately checked into a state-run mental hospital for a quotation mark mental disorder. So you have to wonder what's happening there and why he's coming out of police custody with an eye injury. And I don't mean mean to speak bad about Russia, but like, I don't trust the police there. So there was probably definitely some intimidation going on and some eye torture. Like, I doubt he fell in his police cell and injured his eye. He's not me. I would probably be the only one that can make that happen. And so the second reason is for people selling anywhere between 4.5 and $10 million worth of artifacts and these are jewels so like these are gemstone encrusted gold objects the Zabarskis did not live like they were making money Nicola was a professor Larissa made $500 a month their son was a courier so he probably just was given crackers and some water they shared two we all. <laughs> they shared two rooms of a three-room communal apartment with their son and instead of their parents they didn't have extravagant belongings. So people wonder, like, where was all of this money going? Like, they were... Pop- Finland. It's going to Finland. They're yeah. paying their taxes. For 10 years, they were, like, selling these things. Like, where is all of the money? I'm going to say it again. Rasputin is totally involved. I don't know how. He's not. But I'm pretty sure he is. He's not actually dead. He, oh, he's certainly still alive. Okay, so Nicola, right, the husband, did eventually confess. However, there were questions about the authenticity of the paper trail. So the main, like, hard evidence that wasn't just, like, word of mouth came from a pawnbroker who was known to be really friendly with the Russian police. And so people think they may have cornered him with this false evidence, and he didn't want an eye injury or any type of injury so he just took the blame and went to prison and in the aftermath president vladimir putin ordered an inventory of all of russia's museums right and it turned out that two hundred and fifty thousand items were missing <laughs> so i mean uh, like what did you expect stuff has to go missing i mean if you have that big of a collection i'm not saying it goes missing but but it like shed some light that this poor curator who died at her desk at the age of 52 was maybe not fully to blame even though she's super convenient okay so uh do you guys have any other thoughts before we get to the theories i have question okay okay do you like in any of your research that you found was there like any specific cause of death for this curator because it seems Again, very convenient. She was diabetic and she also was known to have heart issues. And so the like theory is that they announced that they were doing this like audit of her collection, which was 6,000 items. And she realized like, 
oh, like after eight years of doing this, 10 years of doing this, they're like finally going to figure it out. And so she just like died from stress at her desk. I mean, I think that's kind of valid. I mean, I'd (laughs) probably die. I'm not sure I would make it all the way to my desk, but I would also probably die trying to leave the museum. Like with an item in my purse. Poison. So, okay, so theory number one is, like, I've mentioned it, that items discovered, like, they discovered that the items were missing, and then they killed the curator to, like, have an easy wrap-up. Like, they announced the audit. Like, these, the collection was not cataloged. It's not online. So, like, why are you auditing or, like, enjoying the specific collection? They had to know something was going to be gone. And then they killed Larissa, pinned it on her. That's theory number one. Thoughts about theory number one? I guess if they're like one, my question would be like, what's the big object that they were so worried about it being missing? Like, was there one big thing that they were like, if this is missing, like, we're all in trouble? I don't think so. I mean, they were like obviously priceless pieces of religious jewelry. But when your collection is 3 million items, nothing in this collection was the big thing. No one is going to the Hermitage Museum to see anything in this collection specifically. It is not a Fabergé egg. Hmm. So I, I kind of think they may have killed her just to wrap it up. Theory number two is Larissa's underling killed her and framed her for taking the objects because she wanted her job. He or she or they, depending on the pronouns they prefer. Because if you want to move up in the museum world, you have to kill someone is what we were potentially told. And so a I think this underling may have just taken it too seriously and just actually did away with her boss and then like framed her for theft to like get away with the murder. So I'm not advocating that you kill your boss to move up, but like it is very like a convenient way to get a promotion if your boss dies and is framed and you're like, oh, I know the collection just like slide me in here. Okay, theory number three, robbing the hermitage is Vladimir Putin's second job, right? So this man does many things. He rides horseback shirtless while president of one of the largest countries on the planet. I think being an art thief is just something he wants to add to his resume secretly. I feel like second job is a bad idea though because it's probably like his 10th job. Like dude's doing so much already. I mean, I just think he think he would think it was fun. I think he could do it. He'd get a kick out of it. He could do it. Oh, he could absolutely do it. Okay. And theory number four, right? So these items haven't actually left the museum. The cats have been stealing them and stashing them in secret hiding places around this enormous museum. And one day they're the just gonna, they're gonna like find them in a pile. 
and like a secret corridor of this historic palace that they didn't know was there. And it's just- It could be like crows. Do crows steal shiny things? Yeah, isn't that a thing? They like steal shiny things and people like go through their nest to be like, what? Exactly, so I just think it was the cats and the cats have been hiding it this whole time. And like other than the 31 items, which have obviously like been returned, I think maybe at least a hundred of these were just a cat just carrying them off. This is 50 or 70 cats who just run around the whole time are not supervised. It's not like they have a cat room. They just got the run of the place. So I think it was the cats. Is, are they are they cats or are they just like nifflers in, in disguise? Exactly. Exactly. And the thing is, they, they don't even know how many cats it is. 50 to 70 cats? Like 20 cats is a lot of cats. Even in a- It's already too many. Yeah. So like they're there. They were introduced by the daughter of, let's see, I wrote it down somewhere. Catherine the Great. Kidding. Okay, but they were introduced like hun- like a hundred years ago, right? And then have to kill mat- mice and have just like continued to do that. And so I like I definitely think some of these items are just in the kitty hiding spots. Um, do you guys have any additional theories before we move on to our next mystery? Cats are government drones. It's no longer birds. It's just cats. Cats and drones. Cats controlling drones. It's yes. Wait, wasn't it like a plot line of like cats versus dogs or something where like the cats were like CIA agents and they were sent to spy on dogs? I have watched Baby Ballroom on Netflix three times, but I have not had time to watch that movie. Okay, but Baby Ballroom is also like really good. It's, so It's British children dancing. Like, I don't know how you can get better than that. Okay, Sarah, you'll like this next one, right? Because it involves a ghost. Yes, okay. do it. So mystery number two comes to us from the Morse Drummel Museum in New York, New York. The house was built in 1765 for British Colonel Roger Morris. That is the most British name ever. Yes. In 1776 for... I'm going to assume the readers know why that would be significant because if you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to, I'm going to assume you've seen Hamilton. So 1776 hit and he abandoned the mansion. George Washington took it over at one point. It was a tavern and just was a lot of different things. And then cut to 1810, Eliza and Stephen Jumel buy the house and the surrounding farmland. So Eliza came from a really poor family, but she educated herself. And by the time they moved into the house, she was a shrewd businesswoman who had made herself like a pile of money. When there wasn't room for women to be in business, she just did it and made herself a fortune. Stephen Jumel was unfortunately not as successful in his endeavors, but, but he tried. He tried. After living in the house for 22 years, Stephen Jumel was found dead in the basement. He, in quotation marks, fell on a pitchfork and died that way. Uh, okay. <laughs> and immediately in comes Aaron Burr. 
Yes, that Aaron Burr from Hamilton. <laughs> Sir. Uh, <laughs> Eliza and Aaron were apparently having an affair before Stephen died. And right after Stephen died, Eliza and Aaron get married. And so you would think that he's a former vice president. He came from a wealthy family. He finished college in two years, as we know. They are both supposed to bring money into this marriage. They were both supposed to be people of like means and stature. But after Aaron moves into the Jumbo mansion, it becomes clear that that's not the case. Aaron does not have the pile of cash he has presented himself to have. And Mr. Burr begins spending Eliza's money to pay off his debts. And he's like like 80 years old at this point and is like, yep, like I'm just going to take your money and pay off all of these debtors that I have. And so three years into the marriage, Eliza kicked the former vice president to the curb and got a divorce because she stopped spending all of my money. Stop it. Pretty sure I say that to myself. <laughs> so Eliza lives until 1865, but her mental health was continuously on the decline. I'm using my hands a lot, even though the listeners can't hear me. But so her mental health was constantly on the decline. By the time she passed away, the Jumbo Mansion had been her home for 55 years. And it remained her home for a further 17 years after her death because her will was contested in court. And so no one could take over the home after she passed away because no one could get legal ownership of it. And some people say that Eliza never left the museum or house. So Eliza is now known as the wrathful wraith of Washington Heights, and she haunts the Jumel Historic Home. She's been seen in a purple dress wrapping on the walls and the windows. In 1964, she yelled at some school children to shut up. Once I- I mean, like, every woman's done that. Oh my God, that's- When there's like a school group in and they're just being, like you're trying to educate them and they're just chattering away because they're on a field trip and you're just like, shut up. Yeah, that was just a mad docent. That wasn't a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, one psychic went into the house and he touched base with Stephen Jumel, our poor murdered pitchfork fellow who said that he was murdered. And then another paranormal investigator heard something in Eliza's bedroom. And apparently he heard someone saying, he doesn't love you. There's a lot of he's in this story. I'm not sure which one doesn't love who. We don't know. And the psychic paranormal investigator didn't know. But I'm going to assume it was Aaron. Because even though Stephen didn't make a lot of money, like he was married to her for a long time. So, okay, so here are my theories, right? So the obvious one is that Aaron Burr convinces Eliza to murder her husband so he can get to her money. So Eliza then stabs her husband, Stephen, with a pitchfork because who just falls on a pitchfork and dies? In their basement. Who keeps it in their basement? Like, they had a farm. 
but like I just don't understand the physics of falling on a pitchfork and dying like I think you have to like leave it into someone and then like stay yeah. like they fell on it like a vampire you have to stake him through the heart so oh wait so Eliza stabs Steven Burr moves in to steal Eliza's money Eliza realizes that Burr has deceived her and convinced her to murder her husband and he's not bringing anything to this relationship she kicks him out and then like it's still ticked to this day so she won't leave the house because she's just still so mad at Aaron Burr for convincing her to kill her husband that she's like I'm gonna haunt this place forever. I mean aren't we all just mad at Aaron Burr aren't 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 we all nah <laughs> what'd he ever do uh, <laughs> Alexander Hamilton. But, but was he like a president or something? Do I need he was vice president. Do I need to send you the entirety of the but Ham- he, he never made it. He never made it to be president. So I mean dun, 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 dun. <laughs> he was running for president and Alexander Hamilton was like, hmm, oh, I know. I'd rather recommend my arch nemesis than this guy. Well, that also shows you, like, how slimy Aaron Burr was. Like, he's definitely the type of guy who would convince a woman to kill her husband so he could have her money. Okay. But, okay, she has to have already thought about killing him at that point. I don't know. I don't, I think Aaron Burr is just, after he shot Hamilton, and, like, he, he married the love of his life, Theodosia, you know, Theodosia writes me a letter every day and she had passed away. He's already had the love of his life. He doesn't have any money. I just think that Eliza Jumaliza was easy pickings and he clearly didn't have problems like romancing married ladies because Theodosia was married when he started dating her. And then he- like waited around for her husband to die to marry her and so there's like a lot of dead husbands with the ladies that Aaron Burr is interested in Uh, his daughter died very young I don't don't think she was 30 so well I'm not gonna for that no um okay so theory number two Eliza is like over all of that stuff that happened but she's just really mad that the visitors aren't adequately like appreciating her home that she lived in for 55 years. And so she's haunting them to make them appreciate her house because we've all seen visitors come into historic homes and they just like wander around for 15 minutes and don't really take it in. And I think she's just, I, th- I think she's just mad. I mean, my grandma would totally haunt me if I wasn't like keeping my house clean. For yeah. sure, she's done it before. So, I mean, like, I totally get that. So, I think Eliza's just mad. And my next theory requires a little bit of background. So I, these two know that, but the listeners potentially don't. I work in a historic home, and we also have a ghost named Eliza. I think there's a conspiracy of women named Eliza who have died in historic homes and are now just trying to be ghosts to get us like revenue and to get us like admission dollars to keep the historic homes of the United States open. I like really think that the Elizas are just there to help people like me who are trying our best 
to preserve these homes. But yeah, so Eliza's the ghost. Thank you for helping a girl out. Okay, and my last theory about this murder is that Lynn manuel Miranda did not actually write Hamilton. He visited the Jumbo Mansion because he's from like the New York area. So he visits the Jumbo Mansion. Eliza still ticked off at Aaron Burr. Intuit somehow or somehow gives Lin-Manuel Miranda the like music to Hamilton to make her ex-husband look bad. The entire Hamilton musical is just revenge. I like it. So that's, okay. Any other things we want to say bad about Aaron Burr before we move on? Only a woman has the ability to drag a man through a whole musical. Right? It's just a whole revenge plot. The thing that gets me about this is like, you know that Stephen was murdered. You don't fall on a pitchfork that Stephen is not the one haunting the museum. It's Eliza. Stephen wanted out as quick as he could get. Stephen's like, I'm married to you, peace out. Last third um mystery is actually a mystery like I feel like the other two there's been like suspects and we're like pretty sure we know what happened this one is just like question mark we don't know and so that's why it's fast 2010 a thief cuts a padlock on a gate at the Paris Museum of Modern Art have you guys heard about this nope nope okay is it Banksy no well, Banksy. But I have theories about Banksy, so we can do that in a like future Gallery Talk podcast. Mm. So, all right, so he cuts the padlock and he continues to the museum and he breaks in through a window. And so he's now in the museum and he, like he or she or they, depending on which pronouns the thief prefers, just has the entire run of the first floor. Like no alarms are going off. No security guards have seen or heard anything. They steal five paintings, including one by Henry Matisse and a Picasso. The police believe the thief left the way they came. Even to this day, they have super few leaves. The alarms on the first floor of the museum were apparently just not working. And so they just like strolled in and like walked out with the Picasso. And what makes- we all should. <laughs> and, and like, what makes this really interesting to me like a fact that one of the articles brought up is there are 660 Picassos and 121 Matisses listed as missing across the country. And they're like nearly impossible to sell, like even on the black market. We've all seen the Isabella Stewart Gardner stuff. You know, that documentary just came out on Netflix. And so like, where are all of these going? 660 like how many Picassos are still in museums if 660 of them are missing well and how many of them are that Sherlock episode where they're all just fakes yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) I only have one theory on this one and it's actually like actually reasonable I think a security guard had to have done it because there's just like too many convenient things so the alarms on the first floor 
aren't working and the thief just like stays on the first floor, how else would they have known? Like a staff member had to like tip someone off because like, how else do you just know to go rob the museum? Oh, like the alarms aren't working. Are you just taking the chance? Are you going to do that laser movie gymnastics? No. So it, it had to be a staff member. Yeah, I agree. That or it's like a really good hacker. Mm-hmm. Oh. Like a, group, like a QAnon group or whatever. Yeah, I was thinking more like Oceans, but okay, go off. Yeah, like that too. <laughs> it was Anne Hathaway. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. oh it's Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. Honestly, they could do it. I they wish would- they had been in that movie. They would get caught, though, because they would just be making each other laugh, and the security guards would hear them. But, like, how do you get five paintings on a window? Small enough. I mean, some some Picassos aren't big. I mean, it's not like you're trying to... What's the really big one? Like, Guernica? Isn't that supposed to be, like... Oh, yeah, that one's huge. huge. Yeah, you couldn't get that one out a window. But one person carrying five paintings, like, even... And I, I don't know if they were taken out of the frames. Like, I'm unsure. They, they had to make multiple tricks. Right. And the like, fact that, like, no one heard them. Multiple trips and no one heard them. But also, how do they know like, not to go upstairs? Is this one of those, like, the paintings never left the museum, though? Like, are they just were they just put in storage for two days and then during a transport just... You know, like, they just moved them down to, like, some storage vault, and they're like, okay, we're going to move this giant box of whatever, go into the next museum for an exhibit, and then they just took them out. Collections management 101, like, if you're going to move things right down where you're moving it to. I can, like, see that, except that this is a Picasso and, and Matisse. I'm not, I'm not a big art person, but the fact that, like, <laughs> I know those artist names means that you probably don't a take them off display very much and b when you move them it's probably a big deal yeah probably it would be but Um, i mean they were both both artists were uh misogynistic assholes so maybe it's just like the gorilla girls i don't know i'm still team they never left the museum that's how i feel like most artwork goes missing is it never leaves the museum okay a Scooby-Doo episode where, like, <laughs> secret room behind the mummy case. My grandfather had a secret bookshelf that had, or had a bookshelf that had a secret room in his office. So, I mean, you can't tell me museums don't have that stuff. Any final thoughts on our museum mysteries? Love them. They're wonderful. All right. If we get enough listeners on this ranting in mind about museum mysteries we'll do a future podcast and some of the things we can talk about are all of the times that the screen has been stolen because there's been a lot there's a museum theft via boat that involves bombs so there's lots of other thefts and mysteries and ghosts to be talked about And now we're going to sign off. Thank you for listening or not listening. But thank you for joining me, ladies. (laughs) (laughs) Our pleasure. All right. Thank you. Good night.